Hello everybody, welcome to our second Oscar preview episode. Today we'll be talking about the seven other categories, the acting categories, the screenplay categories, and then the category for best director. I was wondering how I should best organize this since I did the blast on blurb and I reviewed the films nominated for best picture. Since a lot of the films nominated, obviously, the eight other films, there's eight films that were nominated for best picture. And those films also got nominated for these categories, but there's an eight additional films that weren't nominated for Best Picture that are nominated for these films. So I said, should I get my best on blurb for those eight films? I still am doing so, but I'm actually not going to do that on the podcast. If you want to check out my best on blurb, and thank you to a listener for giving me this idea, you can go to rmn underscore 901. That is rmm underscore 901 at Twitter. You go look that up on the internet, you'll find it right away. And you can see my best on blurbs for these different films and a little like blurb you'll be able to get my thoughts from that i thought it was too long of an episode to include them in here so i'm just going to focus on the acting categories and hopefully then we could talk about everything more in depth in the oscars post show because the oscars are april 25th they're right on the doorstep they're right here folks but again thank you so much for listening i really appreciate the support I'll be talking about Best Supporting Actor, Best Supporting Actress, Best Original Screenplay, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Director, Best Actor, and Best Actress. I'm also going to do my predictions based off the award, the way they're probably going to be ordered at the award show. They're roughly the same sort of order. I'm just going to go, go by the order from the 92nd Awards. So just live with me a little bit. So the first award I'll be doing... Based off that criteria, is Best Supporting Actor. Thank God, because it's going to be the easiest one to talk about. We have Sasha Barrett Cohen, a no- nominated for The Trial of the Chicago 7. A film I didn't like. Kind of like Borat. Let's leave it at that. Daniel Kaluuya. Daniel Kaluuya. Nominated for Judas and the Black Messiah. I also should say that four out of five of these are based off real people. Sasha Barrett Cohen plays Abby Hoffman. I should have said that. Daniel Kaluuya plays Fred Hampton in Judas and the Black Messiah. Leslie Odom Jr. plays Sam Cooke in One Night in Miami. Paul Rach plays Joe in Sound of Metal. And Lakeith Stanfield plays, Ju- plays William Bill O'Neill in Judas and the Black Messiah. Now I'll start and begin with the fact that Lakeith Stanfield shouldn't have been nominated for this. The category, not because he's a bad actor or anything, but because... He's this. He's the lead actor in his film. Warner Brothers campaigned for him to be in the Best Actor category, so I don't know why he's getting nominated for Best Supporting Actor, especially considering there's a guy called named Delroy Linden who gave you the best performance of the year or the top three or four performance of the year, hands down, in The Five Bloods, who should have been nominated. But he, so he was the snubbed person in this category. Just staying on that point of Lakeith Stanfield, again, he's not a bad performance whatsoever. But the f- it's not really his film, even though he's the lead actor. It's Daniel Kaluuya's film. I, you know, Lakeith Sanfield does all right. And he hits all the right notes that he has to hit because, you know, he's tra- being basically kind of a traitor towards Fred Hampton and the Black Panthers. And he basically has to, you know, turn his back on them and be an informant for the FBI and, you know, basically bury them under the bus and help the FBI murder Fred Hampton. So he hits all those right notes but, you know, it's not good enough to win this award or win this category. It's Leslie, Leslie Odom Jr. 
Same sort of thing. He, he's playing a real person. He hits all the right notes. He severs everything right. And especially for Leslie Odom Jr., the screenplay does him wonders because he's able to be free. He's able to... He's not worried about a lack of a screenplay. So his performance is really good. Additionally, another reason why his performance is really good is because he has the ability to sing. And he's a singer. So A plus for that too because you give a guy ability to sing when he's a singer and all he has to do is sing. Not all he has to do is sing, but a predominant part of his performance is singing. Perfect. So he does a really good job, though he's not going to win. Paul Ricci and Sound of Metal plays a death man who's trying to help Riz Ahmed's character. I'll get to him in a little bit. He does a really nice job, too. There's a particular scene near the end of the film when he's talking with Riz Ahmed's character, uh, Ruben, when, I don't want, I mean, if I tell you the contents of the scene, it kind of gives away the film. But, you know, he says, you sound like something and all this. Sound like blank. I'm not going to say what it is because it gives away the film. But, I mean, it is like a really great scene. It's like how you should act. I mean, he's, he has all the emotion. He's solemn. He's giving you the emotion. He's giving you the mannerisms. He's giving you everything you need. Like, perfect. Though he's not going to win. And Sasha Baron Cohen as Abby Hoffman is really good. I mean, he's funny. When you let a comedian play a comedic character but in a serious film, he's funny. He's bring, he brings a nuanced approach to the character, though the film really wants to tell you how to think and how you should think. So it's hard to bring nuance when when, your film, when the film you're in isn't very nuanced it's, itself. So, But he does his best and he applies... I never really feel like he's playing a real person because he's so over-the-top and comedic. But I do feel as if he's giving a real performance as opposed to Borat when he's not supposed to be giving a real performance. And finally, the guy who's going to win this award 100% out of 100%, Daniel Kaluuya, is an all-time performance. I brought this up in the past episode. This guy puts on a master class on how to act. He nails everything. He has the voice, he has the mannerisms, he brings a legit, he brings a presence to the role. I feel everything he's saying, I feel every line, I feel every word, I feel every emotion that he's feeling. He brings an ability to show what he wants. He, he's basically showing you not only what the person's feeling, but also what they're actually doing at the same time, right? He's showing you an action, but also how they really feel. So it's, it's a phenomenal performance. And that's why he's the odds-on favorite to win this award. And that's why he's going to win this award. Because right now the odds that I'm currently looking at, Daniel Kaluuya is minus 2,500. Sasha Baron Cohen's plus 1,200. Paul Ritchie's plus 1,200. Leslie Odom Jr.'s plus 1,700. And Lakeith Stanfield's plus 3,300. And if I, honestly, if I had to rate the performances, I'd probably go with Lakeith Stanfield 5, Leslie Odom Jr. 4, Sasha Baron Cohen 3, Paul Ritchie, two, and Daniel Kaluuya, one. Though if Delroy Linden was nominated, he would be two. Those are my thoughts on Best Supporting Actor. Now over to his Best Original Screenplay. Keeping it consistent, baby. Keeping it consistent. Best Original Screenplay. Uh, one of the nominees is Judas and the Black Messiah. Screenplay by Will Berenson and Shaka King. Story by Burson King, Keith Lucas, and Kenny Lucas. Also, Minari's nominated with Lee Isaac Chung at the helm. Promising Young Woman is nominated with Emerald Fennel at the helm. 
Sound of Metal was nominated with Abraham Marder and Darius Marder nominated for Best Screenplay, but the story is also by Derek Scene France and Dean Marder. And then the Trial of Chicago 7 is solely written by Aaron Sorkin. So three of those films are written by one person and two of those films were written by the whole community. I think that Trial of Chicago 7 shouldn't be nominated. The only reason why it is nominated is because Aaron Sorkin's got a rep. You know, Aaron Sorkin's one of the greatest screenwriters of all time, so by association he has to have written a great film. His screenplay is so one-dimensional and so one-sided. He did win Best Screenplay at the Oscar. I mean, at the Golden Globes, excuse me. The Golden Globes just do one, one screenplay that's nominated as opposed to two. In the Oscars, I mean, there should be two because it allows more films to get recognition. But I don't really think Aaron Sorkin should have been nominated. He's five, clearly. Like, put him at the bottom, put him right down at the bottom, and we worry about him later. Sound of Metal, I don't really agree with that. Because at the end of the day, I said this on the last show as well, it loses momentum at the end. But it is a great, it, even before that point, before that point where it loses momentum, it's still a really, really great screenplay because it puts you in the position of recognizing Ruben's struggle. That like, wow, I'm death. Wow, my life is kind of over. Though it's not, but, you know, he thinks it is. Promising Young Woman, uh, the screenplay is too one-sided. Now, at least they do admit that Carrie Mulligan's character, Casey, Cassie, excuse me, Cassie, is kind of messed up. <clears throat> but at the end of the day, it's just such a one-sided worldview. Though, even within those constraints of it being a one-sided worldview, I mean, it's well-written. Like, the romantic aspect is well-written. The screenplay didn't wow me. Because when I look at a screenplay, the way I judge a screenplay, it's just based off first glance. Like, does the screenplay make me elevate the story, right? Because a lot of the times, it hurts the story. It relegates the story, which is bad, obviously. And a lot of the times, the most times, like 90% of the time, 95, not I mean not 90, but like 60% of the time, you don't really notice the screenplay because the actors can act. Though the screenplay is all-encompassing, right? Because the screenplay is not just the words written on the page. It's also what goes into the screenplay. Like, just because someone says a word doesn't mean they actually mean the words that they're saying, right? Like, oh, <clears throat> and that's where acting comes into play. Like, I'm feeling good, but in reality, you know, their mom just died, so they're actually kind of crying, and the actor does that, but they feel like, you know, it's the nuance, right? Oh, the screenplay brings you to a certain plot development, and the screenplay brings you to a certain plot point. That's the good screenplay. That's how a screenplay should be written. So to me, I mean, I think that the Promising Woman doesn't really do that because in reality... You know, it kind of doesn't really develop naturally, and it sort of stalls a bit and is a little too, not aggressive, but middling in a way almost, because it's, it's, its agenda is a bit aggressive, but it's also not really revealing, right? That's really the issue. It's not very revealing in its commentary. It's kind of just like, I knew some of this, and the stuff I didn't know, you're kind of exaggerating. Introducing the Black Messiah is well-written. It's still a little basic because it's still somewhat one-sided. I like screenplays that are not one-sided. Even if the story is one-sided, the screenplay shouldn't be. And that's a difference, right? You can write a, you can write a story that's one-sided, like, this is clearly good, this is clearly evil, in the sense of, we have a hero, we're rooting for the hero, and we want the hero to win. But we can also acknowledge that the villain, so to speak, has legitimate claims, and has a legitimate life, and has a legitimate personality. And Promising Woman does this a bit, but I kind of been turned off a bit by its sort of Hollywood ending. You know, I don't think it went full deep. I don't think it, it should have went all in on its concept and I would have liked it more. 
Who's in the Black Messiah? Obviously can't do that because it's based off reality, so it can't really bend the facts. But I didn't really... The screenplay is good, but I think the uh, performances elevate the screenplay more than the screenplay elevates the performance. So, to me, it's decent, though. Is it going to win the award? No. This award should go to Minari. Because the screenplay of Minari is so well written that I, I understand everyone's motivation in the film. Everyone's motivation in the film, I understand. Everybody's. Jacob, Monica, even the children, the grandma, soon. Even Paul, Will Patton's character. Everybody's interesting. Everybody's got a specific personality. Everybody's well-defined. Everybody has motivation for what they're doing. And everybody has a legitimacy to what they're doing. To me, Minari should win this award. So I would put Minari 1. I mean, I want to put Juice in the Black Messiah 2 because it has a better story. But I think Sound of Metal might have a better screenplay. Or, and I think Promising Young Woman. So 2 through 4 is kind of a mosh posh. But Trial of the Chicago 7... As long as the trial of the Chicago 7 doesn't win, I won't have to rant. Now, everything I just said doesn't matter because Sound of Metal at the bookies. Sound of Metal is plus 3,300. Jews in the Black Messiah is plus 3,300. Minari is plus 1,400. Trial of the Chicago 7 is plus 275. And Promising Young Woman is minus 450. Again, I didn't hate Promising Young Woman. I don't want people to think, I do not hate that film. I do not hate Promising Young Woman. I don't think it should be winning this award. Now, best adapted screenplay... I'm going to have to like take a mega breath for this. But The Father is written by Christopher Hampton and Florian Zeller, based on the play by Zeller. Nomadland is, the, is written by Chloe Zhao, based off a book by Jessica Bruder. One Eye Miami is written by Kemp Powers, based on his play. The White Tiger is written by Ramin Barani, based on the novel by Aravind Adiga. And Borogat's subsequent movie film... It is written by Sussbury Cohen, Peter Byraham, Jenna Friedman, Anthony Hines, Lee Kern, Dan Mazur, Erica Rivanoja, and Dan Swimmer. Story by Baron Cohen, Hines, Nina Pedrad, and Swimmer, based on the character by Baron Cohen. <sighs> 45 people got nominated for that thing. You get a writing credit. You get a writing credit. You get a writing credit. So everyone gets a writing credit on Boris Lockwood movie film. I'll start with that one. This film should not win best. First off, half of it isn't even written because half the people in the film don't even know they're in a film. So I don't know how they would have read lines. They didn't read lines because I don't actually know they're getting filmed. You could say, well, Baron Cohen and, uh, and Bakalova are, you know, reading their lines and they're putting the people in the proper position to get, like, the desired effect. But even then, they're, they're improvising. You know, you're improvising half that stuff. So, that should not win. Now, forget the politics, forget anything else. That just should not win based off just principle. No, the White Tiger isn't going to win. Though I would probably rank it second out of these five films because it portrays both sides properly. It portrays multiple perspectives in a good way. And its lead character isn't super perfect, but also isn't super bad. He's right, he is in that gray area where he's in a gray area and the system he's fighting against is kind of more in that bad area, but he's also great. Does that make him better? Because, you know, two wrongs make a right, so to speak. That's really good. 190 Miami, I have no problem with it, though. At times it's a little sappy, it's a little nostalgic, it's a little too kind of home movie-esque. It's very well written at times. For sure. At times, I would say this film should win the award. 
But at other times, it's very sappy. It doesn't feel very motivated or, or it kind of just feels a little sappy. It feels overproduced in a way. Nomadland shouldn't even, I don't even know why Nomadland's nominated. It doesn't have a screenplay. Nobody talks to half the movie. They're, I'm looking at the rocks. Oh, how well written. Because like I just said, a screenplay is multiple things. It's not just the words on the page. It's not just the words being said by the character. It's the entire enchilada. It is the screenplay. It is what they're saying. It's applied to the actors and actresses. And most importantly, it's the overarching story. Do you tell me a good story? Because that's the screenplay. Because these pretentious films, especially Nomadland, if, there's no, if I'm not watching it and I'm, I'm reading this, I'm... There's nothing there to read. So how are you going to say, oh, well, this is... You know, I know Quentin Tarantino says, the way he approaches films is, I'm going to write the whole thing, and it could be a standalone, standalone, like, piece of literature, just the written part. Like, it doesn't even need to be filmed. I could just write it, and that'd be over. You couldn't just write Nomadland. Additionally, something that's counting against Nomadland is the fact that half the actors in it are... People, they're, not, they're real people. So you're not really like writing a script for them. They're talking from the, from the heart. So Ma Rainey's Black Bottom definitely should have been nominated in the place of at least one of these films. And then the film that's going to win it all, though, in my opinion, is The Father, which I love. And the screenplay in this film is complete filth. I mean, the reason why the film is so good is because of its screenplay. My God. The screenplay is just that good. It is just that good. You know, like I said in the previous episode, it puts you in the mind of someone who has dementia. It makes you think you have dementia. It makes you think that you are in a dementia landscape, in a dementia mind frame of mind. And also, I feel for all the characters. I feel for Anne. I feel for Anthony. I feel for the hospital workers. I feel for literally everyone in this film. And part of that is because of the performances, of course. But also part of it is because of the screenplay. So to me, I think that is really a film that should win to me. Though, now let's talk about what are their odds. The White Tiger is plus 3,300. One Night in Miami is plus 1,400. Borat's plus 800. The Father's got good, uh, good value at plus 300. And then we got Nomadland at minus 400. I, they want Nomadland to win very badly here. Moving on here, let's talk about Best Supporting Actress. The most wide open... The, the women's are wide open. The men, we kind of know who's going to win. The women are wide open here. Bakalova is nominated for Borat's subsequent movie film as Tutar Singdaev. Glenn Close is nominated in Pillbilly Elegy as Boney Mahama Vance. Olivia Coleman is nominated as Anne in The Father. Amanda Seyfried is nominated as Marion Davis, who's a real person, obviously, in Mank. And Young Young Jung is nominated as Sunja in Minari. Bakalova actually should have been nominated. You know, she's a comedic person, but I mean, the, I, I think the reason why she's nominated is because like the costuming, it's very sort of misleading. I think the costuming does her more good than you'd think because she's like 30 years old, right? But the costuming makes her look like she's like a caveman and she's 11. So is that more on her performance or her? Now, uh, she does a really nice job. She's not winning this award. Right? But she does a nice job. Glenn Close, look, Glenn Close has never won an Oscar, all right? She's been nominated now eight times. She's that good. We all know that. Glenn Close is one of the greatest actresses of all time. 
So she's great. We all know this. The best film that she's been in, of course not. You know, I, I kind of have hard a hard time really getting behind her, getting nominated, because in all reality, like, this film kind of sucks that she's in. But Olivia Coleman is fantastic. Oh, my gosh. And she should win this award. Olivia Coleman is fantastic. The expressions, the emotions. I mean, she has so, so much nuance to the role. I mean, her, because Anthony, her father, has dementia, obviously. Her role requires her to be very nuanced, have a lot of emotions, guilt, anger, rage, uh, sadness, jealousy, all these different things, right? Because she has to take care of her father, but she wants to live a normal life, but she wants to love her father, but she wants to take care of her father, but she wants to live a normal life. And it's just a stirring of the pot. It's perfect. And all her mannerisms are right. She cries when she has to. She doesn't cry when she doesn't have to. She smiles when she has to. She's thankful when she needs to be. Perfect. I mean... She, this is like, <clears throat> you look up acting and what acting needs to be in the dictionary. And I don't mean like character actor. Like that. Because, you know, a lot of these people who got nominated are like playing someone. I'm just talking about like straight human being. You need to play a human being. This is the type of performance you look at. It's not oversaturated, right? It's not too much. It's there. But it's not complacent. It's urgent. right? It's assertive. But it's, for what it needs to be, it's perfect. Amanda Seyfried cut uh, some accent. For Marion Davis, she cut, you know, a, a Brooklyn accent. Oh, she shouldn't have been nominated, all right? The fact that Yeri Han wasn't nominated, and by the way, Yeri Han had the second best performance of the year for supporting actress in Minari. She plays Monica in Minari. Yeri Han should have been nominated instead of Amanda Seyfried because I think Amanda Seyfried's, all her hype is over people who just watched the trailer. Yeah, I, I thought too, I'm like, yo, this performance looks really good. Off the trailer, I watched the movie and she doesn't do anything. So yeah, if you watch the trailer, of course it's going to look good. No, no duh, brother. But in the movie, what does she actually do? She has an accent for like 10 minutes? No. Nah. And then Young Yoon Jun and Minari as the grandmother. She deserved to get nominated. Though she's not even the best person in the film. That goes to Yeri Han. Yeri Han's the best person in the film. And she is good in this film. But I in Minari. But I kind of, again... Put it against her that she's like the second best female actress, or she has the second best female performance in her own film. Though some people could say, well, Yeri Han should have been nominated for best actress because she was technically the lead actress in her film. And I get all that. You might be right. You are right. But you know what? We did it for Lakeith Stanfield. We can do it for her too. Now, the odds, the bookies for this category Amanda Seyfried's plus 3,300, Olivia Coleman's plus 2K. Glenn Close is plus 1,000. Maria Bakalova is plus 375. And Yong Yong Jun is minus 500. Now, the woman who won this actually at the Golden Globes was Jodie Foster. She's not even nominated, which is kind of interesting. Now, going to Best Director, we have Chloe Zhao nominated in Nomadland, Emerald Fennell nominated for Promising Young Woman, Lee Isaac Chung nominated for Minari, David Fincher nominated for Mank, and Thomas Vintenberg nominated for another round. Now, this is history in this category because you have two women nominated at the same time. You also have two Asian directors nominated at the same time. So this is one of the most diverse. It could have, even, it could have potentially even been more diverse. But it's the most diverse and best directors has ever been. Now, I'll start with, it's kind of hard to say and judge 
because I think all these films that got nominated were very well handled and very well made. You know, you can tell. Like, I was saying this. Judas and the Black Messiah is a really good film. But, like, you aren't going to nominate that for Best Director. Best Director is the auteur. It's the craft. This is where the pretentious films can make up some ground. Unfortunately for Chloe Zhao, the other films have all, all that and a good script and good performances. So if I had to, to say stuff in particular about all these films, like oh, I'm going to say similar things about all these films. So I'm not really going to go oh, each film, each film. Because all these films really do similar things. You know what I mean? Like They have great artistry. They have great scenes. They have great long takes. But I will say this. Promising Young Woman is not on the level of these other films. When I, you know, from an auteur perspective, I didn't even say Mankinson either, and I'll get to that why. Promising Young Woman is more of just a, I think, more on the level of Judas and the Black Messiah, more on the level of The Trial of the Chicago 7. I think, if anything, The Father should have gotten nominated instead of this film for Best Director. I mean, yeah, Best Director. This film I didn't think was that great to be nominated for Best Director. From an auteur perspective, right? Long takes, the mise-en-scene, the lighting, the sound, the way you position shots, framing, all of that that goes into it. I didn't get that from, from Promising Young Woman. I kind of just got a good screenplay, decent performances, all of that. Chloe Zhao and Nomadland has great set pieces. I talked about this. has great set pieces, great long takes, great long shots, wide shots. But is the auteurism there? Is the art form there? It's there, of course. I'm not trying to disrespect her because she did a great job. Every film that's well done is going to have scenes where you say, wow, you know, this is, this is great. But do I feel it? I didn't feel your film. And I also don't think it was lacking because I still think two of these films, Another Round and Minari, have better craftsmanship. Now, Mank with David Fincher, I think this film's very misleading. This is, I think, even worse maybe, than Promising Young Woman. Because the only reason why this was nominated was because it was black and white and of the aesthetic. If you made this film, if you made this film color, seriously, if you made this film color, I don't think anybody would have, I don't think anybody would have been like, oh, this is best director quality. You know, it wasn't like there were long takes that were really inspiring or like one takes that were, uh, that were like, whoa, this was like a six minute, like long take or something, right? You know what I mean? It wasn't like there were long shots or, these are crazy shot angles or these really phenomenal, interesting, eye-catching displays of framing and stuff like that. Because a big part of directorship that not a lot of people talk about is keeping my attention even if not a lot's going on, right? When the screenplay is kind of slowed down a bit or it's a slow-paced paced film, if it's well shot and well directed, I'll, it will keep my attention for the... However long the film is, whether it's an hour and a half or whether it's three hours, it might not be like edge of my seat, but if it's well directed, the director will make it interesting enough where I'm not seeing the same thing twice and I'm saying to myself, wow, look at this shot. Look, even if it's subconsciously, but I can, I can personally go back and say, whoa, you know, this shot here or that shot here or, or this or that or whatever it might be. You know, I didn't make a lot of those type of notes when it came to make. I made a lot of those notes when it came to the other two films and even Nomadland. I was making a lot of notes about Nomadland. So to me, Mike Mink and Promising Young Woman are kind of below the other three films. 
And then No Man Land isn't quite at the level of the other two because it's just not as good of a film. Now, I'll get to Thomas Vintenberg first. I got to say, this film, you gotta, you, you, this is one of the films you should watch. And it's because it deals with midlife crisis and alcohol use. He, made, he directed this film because of his daughter. His daughter wanted her, to hit her him to direct the film about alcohol use and focus on the young kids and stuff. And it's crazy because he was going to make the film because of her. And then four days into filming, she died in a car accident. And it like, took on its life of its own, the film, as like a dedication to her. Her name's Ida. And knowing that, it elevates the film even more. Because the craftsmanship in this film, there's like a 10-minute scene of people just talking at a dinner table. 10 minutes of just a scene of people eating dinner. And I never lose focus. And I never lose uh, engagement. And I never lose... I'm never out of the moment. I'm always in the moment. I'm always with the moment. There are scenes that are just the, the shot composition is brilliant or like the reaction shots. Because again, the way I look at it is a lot of the time it's reaction shots as well. Because let me tell you like this, right? Let me say it like this. You could quite easily just have the camera go, okay, this person's talking, the camera's on then. This person's talking, the camera's on then. But have you ever noticed they'll be watching a film and the camera will be on the person that's not talking in the moment? Or the camera will be on, will be on something else but the talking? Or the camera will be off-centered. Or the camera will kind of fade out or sort of unfocus itself. I won't be on the prim primary action. Or the camera will zoom in or zoom out, depending on who's talking. And then you'll have reaction shots. And you'll have point-of-view shots. But only point-of-view shots for certain characters. Not for everybody. Not everybody gets a point-of-view shot. Only one or two characters get that point-of-view shot. Because they're supposed to identify... With that character, just blew your mind, didn't I? That's a film studies major talking right there, baby. Everything like that I just said is present in this film and present in spades. With that being said, though, Minara should win this award. Because there are... You know, I didn't get a lot of, like, landscape shots in another round. Minara gives me that. I get to see the Arzarks up close and personal, baby. I get landscape shots. I get really, really great shots. Every scene that's filmed with Monica, the two parents, Monica and Jacob, is like a master class in how to direct. How to make a movie one-on-one. -on -one. Watch these scenes, folks. You want to write a film, you want to make a film, you want to do anything. And by the way, I mean, you got to understand, I'm not some sort of like, I'm not over here, I'm not Steven Spielberg. But I'm just telling you, like, that's, that's how you make a film. And I don't even know how to make a film, and I, and I, and I know that you, that's how you make a film. Phenomenal. I mean, they're, the shot composition, them talking, the back and forth, the reaction shots, and then you put the acting on top of that, you're just putting salt in the batter, baby. You're spinning that up, cooking it. We're cooking, we're cooking. It's brilliant. It's fantastic. So, that's all I got to say there. Phenomenal. Menard should win this award. Though the bookies don't agree with me, of course. Okay, well, let's get to it. Thomas Vinterberg's plus 2,500 at the books. Emerald Fennel is plus 2 Gs. Lee Isaac Chung's plus 1,700. David Fincher's plus, plus a big K, right? Plus 1,000. Chloe Zhao is minus $3,335. We're just slobbering. We are slobbering over Nomadland, aren't we? 
Vegas can't, they can't help themselves. Vegas can't help themselves right now. Jeez Louise, they just, they want, they are, they are desperate for some nomads, aren't they? She also won the award for Golden Globes. So best actor, we have Riz Ahmed nominated for, as Ruben Stone for Sound of Metal. We have Chadwick Boseman nominated as Levy Green in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. We have Anthony Hopkins nominated as Anthony, not Anthony, Anthony, for The Father. We have Gary Oldman nominated, uh, nominated in Mank for, for playing Herman Mankiewicz. And we have Steven Yeun nominated in Minari for playing Jacob Yee. Chadwick Boseman obviously has a po- posthumous nomination for this film. He's the odds-on favorite. I'll say the I'll start with the people I don't think should win and are, are not gonna win. Steven Yeun as Jacob Ye. Again, he's not the best person and he's not the best actor in his film. If you're not the best actor in your film or top two, we kinda got problems. He's good. There's nothing wrong with his performance, but it's not as good as Yuri Han's. I I'm a stand for Yuri Han right now, I guess. But his performance is not as good as Yuri Han. He's good. You know, he does the job. And I'm not saying the guy's a bad performance, because it again, it's not a bad performance. All right, it's not a bad performance. It's not that good, you know. It's decent, but I, this is my this is my criteria for an Oscar film. If you can get nominated as a direct, I mean, as a actor or actress, right? If I have to justify, if I have to think about why you're nominated or why you should be nominated, that's a problem. It should just happen. I should just watch performance, and be like, whoa, that's an Oscar performance, whoa. He, need, he needs to get nominated. If he didn't get nominated, it'd be a disgrace. If I'm not getting that, then you shouldn't be nominated. And that's why Mads Mikkelsen, for uh, another round, definitely should be nominated. Because, I mean, his performance has all that new nuance, everything. So I think he should be nominated as opposed to Steven Yeun. Another person that I think was as a nomination is Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman has a great performance. He, I mean, because Gary Oldman's a great actor. There's a... <laughs> There's a difference. The reason why Gary Oldman's performance is good because he's a great actor. He's that good. But when you're 63 years old playing a 43-year-old, they always say, why? Why are you playing a 63-year-old? Why, why is a 63-year-old playing a 43-year-old? I do not know. But his performance is still damn good. That's the difference. His performance is really good. Do I think it's going to win the award? No. Do I think it should win the award? No. Should it be in the conversation for winning the award? No. But he's that good. Do I get that sense of identification, though? Do I get that sense of wow? No, I don't get that sense of wow. Do I get that sense of caring? Do I feel bad for him? Not really. He's an alcoholic. So, I, you know, it's kind of easy to elicit emotions. But do I get a sense of wow, wonder? Not really. Do I get a sense of intimacy? Not really. So, I don't really, I'm not really feeling his performance, so to speak. I'm not really feeling what he's laying down. Another person that I thought I was thinking, I thought I was going to say this guy should win the award, but he's not, is Riz Ahmed. Because again, he's playing a death person, he's playing someone to, it's like easy kind of to elicit that emotion, right? It's easy to kind of elicit that sort of pain in my heart for you. And his performance is fantastic, and he 100% deserves to get nominated because of that nuance, because you don't really know where he's going to go, and the ending is a little bit abstract. You don't really know what to think of the ending. 
he deserves 100%. This is an Oscar-nominated performance. Is it as good as maybe I thought it was going to be? I think I, I think I set the expectations a bit too high. I think I did. That was my fault. Though, he's phenomenal in this film. I mean, especially as a death person, and his... I mean, there's a scene with a donut and a cupcake. I mean, a donut and a coffee that he's in. Phenomenal. One of the best scenes this Oscar season. There's another scene when he's talking about how he's death. Phenomenal. And there's another scene talking about how why he makes a decision later on in the film. Phenomenal. There's like three scenes that are just like, wow. This is why you get nominated for an Oscar. The person I think really put in a good performance is Anthony. Anthony Hopkins. I said, you know, he's 83 years old. He's still doing the best work he's been doing. Uh, someone reminded me that he did he did take the bag, though, for Transformers. That is correct. He did take that bag for Transformers. You're correct, brother. Brother. Right. He took that bag for Transformers. But Anthony Hopkins, 100%. This, when you're playing someone who has dementia and you got to do justice to that, you because, again, when you're playing an alcoholic or something, it's kind of easy, in a way, to kind of like half at you know half ass it you know, right? But when you're playing like a death person or a person has dementia, you really need to give respect to those people because if you don't, get the hell out of here. You're, you're gonna lose. You're not. You're gonna get canned, right? You need to have a nuance to the performance, and Anthony Hopkins does that. He, I mean, and the screenplay helps him for sure, but he is phenomenal in this film. And he does such a nice job. I almost think he's going to win. And I almost think he should win. But he should. But, because, but Anthony Hopkins is phenomenal regardless. He's, he has, he's crying and I buy into it. He's angry and I buy into it. He has a viciousness. But he's not like... You never hate him. You know what I mean? He's just steady the whole way. It, it is like... It's everything. You have every emotion. Happiness, sadness, thankfulness, jealousy, anger, distraught. I mean... Every all those emotions are wrapped into an hour and a half movie. Ten different emotions from an actor, and every single scene is a different emotion. Every single scene is slightly different. Even his delivery of the lines, you can feel it. Phenomenal, and I didn't, definitely didn't need to justify his performance. But Chadwick Boseman is going to win this award, and he should because forget everything he's done. He did in this film. There, forget everything. I don't care. I don't care. Forget it all. Forget it all. Everything he did in this film, I don't care about. There was one scene about an hour in, 45 minutes, an hour in, that is one of the best scenes I've seen in my life from an actor. Probably one, a top five performance from an actor in a scene. He has a monologue in this scene about a, a crime against his family, and it's a one take, and it, this is why you win an Oscar. So I get the rest of the film. You could watch this five minute scene, and you're just like, and that's why he's going to win an Oscar. Every single emotion. It's like when Anne Hathaway won Best Supporting Actress, I think in like 2013, you know, when she, she had the song in Les Miserables, and you were like, this woman is going to win an Oscar. I don't give a damn. It doesn't even matter. Whatever anybody else did in any other film, whatever she, it doesn't matter. She won. In Chadwick Boseman, same exact thing. It didn't matter who. Because this guy in one scene stole the entire award season. He's crying, he's happy, he's angry, he's frustrated, he's remembering, he's longing, he's hopeful. It's dynamite. He's proud. It's everything you want a scene to be. 
And again, I'm not telling you exactly what he does. But the camera stays on him. And for five minutes, when it's over, you're reacting the exact same way everybody in the else in the film is. I don't mean like in the theater. In the film, the characters, you're like, holy shit. They're saying holy shit because it's in the film. You're saying holy ass because you just know this guy won an Oscar. Phenomenal. He's going to win, by the way. It's guaranteed. He's won every other award he's going to win. And it's not because he's dead, by the way. Don't try it. Don't try it. All right? Gary Oldman's plus 3,300. Vegas agrees with me. Steven Ewan's plus 2,500. Vegas agrees with me. Riz Ahmed's plus 1,400. Vegas agrees with me. Anthony Hopkins is plus 700. Vegas has got my back. And Chadwick Boseman's minus 1667. He's winning this award. Now, the most wide-open award of the night is Best Actress. Because you have five women, and they all have legitimate claims to win. You have Viola Davis playing Ma Rainey in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Andrew Day playing Billie Holiday in the United States with Billie Holiday. Frances McDormand playing Fern in Nomadland. Carrie Mulligan playing Cassandra Cassie Thomas in Promising Young Woman. And Vanessa Kirby playing Martha Weiss in Pieces of a Woman. No one knows who's winning this award. I'm going to try to tell you who I think is going to win. I'm not even going to predict this award. I'm not even going to predict. I'm not even going to predict. I'll start out with the performance that's the worst. and It's such a bad way to look. Because it's not even bad. The performance is not even bad. But I'm just going to say it's the worst for the sake of this. And that's Vanessa Kirby. She's still really good in this film. Because the first 30 minutes are like, it's a birth scene. You know, she's in labor for like the first 30 minutes of the film. I mean, that is like phenomenal. That is why she's getting nominated for that reason. But the other parts of the film are much less engaging in that sense. You know, it's not a bad performance. But again, I always say this. If I have to justify why you're getting nominated, it's probably not a good, good thing. Friends with Dormand, I don't know why. I don't really know why she's nominated, to be honest. I, same sort of thing. I mean, this even less so than Vanessa Kirby, because I don't know what I don't know what's so good about her performance. You know, I watched the film and I, I was trying to like what was so good about her performance. Nothing happened. She didn't go through a change. Whatever. She didn't do, like nothing happened. That's the best way I could put it without spoiling the damn thing. And I didn't get that sense of wonder. It's as simple as it's a feeling. You know, it's a feeling, right? And if I get that sense of wonder, if I'm suspended disbelief, and I'm saying, well, this performance, but if I have to justify it, if I have to make excuses, then it's probably not that good. So I wasn't feeling this. I wasn't feeling Fred McDormand's performance. Again, it's not that she does a bad job. If you're a Hollywood actor, if you're friends, look, because she's won two Oscars for Best Actress. You think anything I say takes away from her now? The, the woman is a first ballot Hall of Fame if there was an acting Hall of Fame. Okay? Like, I, I'm not trying to disrespect her. It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, I don't think this performance from her was that special. Now, the performances that I think that... They, I think these were the three best performances. First of all, with Carrie Mulligan. The, the best thing about her performance is the fact that her real name's Cassandra... But just a character builderization, a character, I prefer, I, I just combined two words there. From, but from a characterization standpoint, the fact that she's actual name is Cassandra, but her quote-unquote name in the film is Case Cassie. Cassie's for a child, Cassandra's for a woman. That, I mean, that in itself is like why this film's good. But also, 
you know, she does do a good job because you kind of are angry at her character, but you also respect her character. I don't know if that means to me, like, you know, she's going to win because she shouldn't win, by the way. She should not win. I'm just going to she shouldn't win. She should get nominated, but she shouldn't win. Because I don't know if I got, like, a sense of wonder while watching this. Watching her performance as opposed to the other two. And I didn't get that gut reaction. Now, for Viola Davis, I did. And I thought she should win. She was my pick. Because, she, first off, she put on... she The costume, whatever she did, the griminess, the costuming people need to win for her. Just for that. But she put on the performance... She, this was a major character act, character for her, from a perspective of like being a character actor and putting on that performance and basically saying, you know, I'm Viola Davis, I'm like 120 pounds, but I'm going to act like I'm 200 pounds and I'm going to act like I got grimy teeth and I'm going to be sweaty and I'm going to be yelling and screaming at everybody and being pretty mean and stuff. Phenomenal. She's in this film. Her and Chadwick make this film. Her performance isn't as good as Chadwick's, but her, because of that scene. But her performance, get she knows what she's doing. She brings a stature to the character, and it's a, the right stature, because she's she's torn, you know, she's worn and she's torn, and she's sick of the society that she has to live in. The fact that she's just being used, and that's good. And I, again, you have to kind of watch it, but it's a character actor in its finest, and she's playing a character for sure. But the person I think should win is Andrew Day, and she won for Golden Globes. Uh, and so did Daniel Kaluuya, and so did Chadwick Boseman. So I guess I'm agreeing with the Golden Globes, even though I think they're not the great award show. Because her or Viola should win 100%. 100%. If neither of them win, it's bad. But I don't know. She has to play a heroin addict. She plays a biopic. And she ages. I mean, she looks different every single scene. She brings a, a certain presence to the role. She, her voice is completely changed. She brings a nuance to the role, Right? She, you could tell that this person that she's playing, though they don't give her extreme justice, or they don't give her, they don't investigate her life enough, in my opinion, in the film. That's why it's not really a, it's an undercooked sort of biopic. They don't really give her enough characterization. But even with that, the only reason why this film that she's in is worth half a damn is because of her, because she hits every note. No pun intended. She hits every note she has to hit, and by the, and the fact that she can sing. Helps her cause immensely. Look, the screenplay sucks. But that doesn't matter if you're doing the performance that she did. And I'm buying in every single step of the way. You're, you're changing your voice. You're changing your mannerisms. You're being a heroin addict. But you're not being, an, you know, you're not like going off the walls. You're giving it respect that it deserves. So I think that's why she should win. If she doesn't win, I'd gladly give it to Viola Davis though. Either one of them should win. Give it to either one of them, please. I'm a stand for both of them right now. The bookies agree with me not very much, but kind of. Vanessa Kirby is at plus 2K. Don't bet her. Andre Day is at plus 600. Bet her. Francis McDormand, I don't condone. Actually, don't gamble. I have no, no comment on gambling. Francis McDormand's plus 400. Viola Davis is plus 200. And Carrie Mulligan is plus 125. Then we send out the best picture people. And then, like I told you, I think Nanwad Land's going to win. But I think the father should win. Thank you so much for listening to Rumors, Money, and Movies. If you're listening to this before Sunday night, follow me on Twitter. Live tweet with me. We're going to pop off. Again, thanks everybody for listening. Have a great rest of your day. And please enjoy the Oscars.